Hi, everybody. I'm Martin Van Dyke, the Morning Drive host on Ann Arbor's 1071. And welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for February 2022, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Mark Rebo about his memoir, Unstrung, Rants and Stories of a Noise Guitarist. Rebo is known for collaborating with other musicians, notable ones, Tom Waits, Elvis Costello, John Zorn, Katana Veloso, many, many others, McCoy Tyner, Robert Plant, and Allison Krauss, Jack McDuff, Wilson Pickett, and many, many others. He has written what the Wall Street Journal has called a slim yet powerful book in which he blends bits of memoir with strange little fictions, many of which are based on his own life and career. I began my interview with Mark Rebo, asking him about how this book came about. It's kind of strange. I've I've written for, you know, I mean, musicians are a lot like merchant marines. We spend a lot of time uh, on planes, trains, and I've spent most of my adult life jet lagged. So, which means I'm awake when other people are sleeping and I'm sleeping etc. And uh, I discovered early on that my neighbors don't really like it when I play electric guitar in the middle of the night. So that left writing (laughs) and a few other things, but, but um, so I've, I've written stuff for a long time, short stories, essays, whatever. And uh, to be honest with you, I never thought about it. Um, I never, it never, I never worried about what would happen to it. I just did it. But uh, I mean, I guess once it occurred to me about 10 years ago that, oh, I should, I should try to get it published. And and my manager set up a meeting with a publisher, um, a, a name one. And, you know, I, threw the stuff down on his desk and he leafed through it for a while and he got really quiet and um, he said, uh, well, um, uh, gee, what we kind of had in mind was something more like what are Tom Waits and John Lurie really like? So I said, well, later for you, dude. (laughs) 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 And then I didn't think about it at all, but, um, then my my friend Kurt Hollander, who is actually is a writer, uh, who has uh, he he actually edited uh, Polyester and and years ago um, Portable Lower East Side that that would be decades ago actually, um, and now lives in uh, Columbia, Cali, a lovely town. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, he he played it uh played it <laughs> he sent it to Johnny Temple at Akashic and that and they liked it and here it is i mean yeah and you know any publisher who would expect you know a conventional music book from a to z from from you my friend i think does doesn't know what what you're all about so and i i just devoured this book in about 
one and a half sittings because I, I, you're you're a brilliant writer and your your book just goes in so many fascinating directions, just like your guitar playing. It's it's so it's so cool, and I've just found out a, about a lot of musicians who were so important to you. Some some of whom I've heard and some I haven't. Like your 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 guitar mentor who was so important to you when you were growing up i'm going to slaughter his name is it is it franz cassius how was um, that'll do franz cassius cassius yeah yeah, yeah t- tell but, us about mr cassius and how important he was to you when you were growing up well you know i mean before i was uh a guitarist in fact before i was out of second grade really um you know, Franz was a had always been a friend of my family's. He uh, was one of those weird New York extended families. He was kind of not exactly exiled from Haiti, but let's just say he he kind of he came to New York because he had he was an ambitious young guitarist composer who wanted to. First, he wanted to create a Haitian classical guitar music. In the same way that Villa Lobos had created a kind of Brazilian classical guitar music, he wanted to do that for Haiti and put Haitian influenced music, classical music, on the world stage, as he put it. And um, so he had come to New York, but he didn't really have family here or anything. And somehow he wound up incorporate my um, aunt and uncle lived uh on the upper west side and they anyways they wound up like helping him find an apartment and um and sharing a car and and hanging out a lot and so uh when 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 we'd have family events like thanksgiving or passover or something franz would usually be there and um and oftentimes he'd bring his guitar so st- i guess starting when i was like 6 i heard him you know he, he he must have been bored because because he, he would practice you know um but that was like the first live music i i heard you know and you know i think it made an impression on me but like by the time i actually wanted to learn guitar i was like already you know i don't know 10 years old or something and already listening to stuff on the transistor radio like rock music and I wasn't interested in classical at all, but I guess he needed students at the time. And so, um, so, you know, it was decided, well, you want to play guitar, you play guitar with Franz, you know, Mm -hmm. you'll learn with Franz. And that's, that's how that happened. I I mean, I had no interest in classical guitar whatsoever, (laughs) Um, but that's how, you know, that's how stuff happens. You're, you're, you've worked with just this dizzying array of musicians, Mark, and it's just, it's mind boggling. Where, where does that come from? Where, where does that open mindedness that you have come from? Um, nervousness, I guess, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, you know what, what I do and what a lot of musicians do is, um, I, I mean, I, I don't actually listen that broadly a lot a lot of my friends listen to a lot more but i do listen very deeply in other words when i get into 
when I was getting into, let's say, for example, Arsenio Rodriguez, it's not just that I listened to those tunes. It's like I transcribed them. And then I tried for months to play all the parts at the same time, the horns, the vocal, and the bass part at the same time as solo guitar pieces. And from there, I taught it to the, you know, to the trio, and then we expanded to quintet. So mm -hmm. by the time those songs got recorded, I'd been, you know, I'd, in order to transcribe something, you have to listen to the record hundreds of times, you know. Um, I mean, if you really want to get not just the, not just the words and the melody, but the bass part and the, the backup singer part and the horn part, you know, and the tres part and all that stuff. So we tend to listen, we, first of all, listen deeply. And then also I tend to listen historically. When I hear something I like, I want to know where it came from, you know, like who, who were they listening to? And, you know, so I, I kind of try to swim up the stream. Talk about some of the other musicians who, who you write about uh, in your book, Mark, people like Robert Quine and, and Derek Bailey. What, what makes the, those two musicians so important to you? Well, they were both guitarists who uh, changed the history of the instrument. Uh, Quine invented, arguably, uh, Quine and, and, and also the, the people in television, I guess, um, invented the idea that you could solo on punk rock tunes. I mean, the Ramones weren't big into guitar solos. Lots of guitar, but mm -hmm, not solo. It, it wasn't about solos. Um, and uh, Quine, you know, Quine, you can hear like his, like he was getting, if you listen to his uh his his solo on on Lou Reed's Waves of Fear, for example, you know, and then you look at the date on that, you know, it was like pretty, I think, 75, 76, something like that. Yeah. Um, you understand he was pretty near the the uh, beginning of something. And his anyways, his solos were amazing. You know, like um, he was a super nerdy record collector the kind of got of r&b and and jump band blues and and early rock he had like one of these people who filled his house with the stuff um and there was something about all of that that all of that history that informed his playing even when he was like playing completely insane shit but um but actually yeah, I mean, what what you what I came to realize through Quine was that there had always been a lot of insane shit. Like, I, I Quine, um, I still have a cassette somewhere where Quine Quine used to make me tapes, and he made me a tape of Ike Turner um, mm. stuff. Yeah, Quine kind of hit me to to Ike Turner's uh, playing, and he made a tape. I don't know. He he had a record with all these al alternate takes of of the song Matchbox, and um, and there was one solo he was just so amazed with. He he 
stopped the cassette and and played this part of the solo, recorded it three times just so I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> and it was it was really punk rock, you know, and it was I think it was recorded pretty close to our birth time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so, yeah, Ike Turner, you know, he's somebody. Yeah. So Quine was way into him and and that really informed his playing, you know, um, uh, and then Derek Bailey coming from a completely, well, a partially other, other end of the spectrum. Well, yeah, not really other end. Quine used to practice to these like uh, jazz records, you know, <laughs> um, like bebop guitarist jazz records. He never sounded remotely like them, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he would sit, you know, He'd sit there and do something. I don't know. Um, uh, Derek Bailey uh, was a British guitarist who had been a jazz guitarist and a studio musician. But, um, well, he's known as the inventor of uh, free improvisation, um, which is an attempt to do uh, a, a kind of form of improvising that is sui generis and uh uh in which every time you pick up the instrument in to play you're playing something that has never been played before without genre without history without memory um and i mean i think what happens when you approach things in that way is it does involve memory, but involves memory much deeper strata of memory than you would otherwise access. Uh, and yeah, so what can I say? Great, you know, great player. Both of them gone now. Yeah. Um, These days, I imagine the, the, the work that you do for other musicians, I mean, we all know you musicians know who you are and how good you are, Mark. And I'm sure reach out to you or to your manager saying, Hey, will Mark play on my album? But I'm sure in the early days of your career, it must've been a struggle to find work. I, I, I would assume like what, what were the, what were the first couple important breaks? Certainly working with Tom Waits was how did, how did, did that come about? Um, well, before I actually worked with what, you know, I was just playing with a bunch of bands in New York. New York. Um, first time I think I met Waits, I don't even know if he would remember it really, but I think that was with, I was playing with a band called Brendan, the Real Tones. Mm. And we thought we were like R&B um, purists, like Stax Volt purists. We never made a record. Um, the band got derailed by the usual suspects um insanity dope and lethargy <laughs> but um uh we're talking about um we're talking about early 80s so oh boy yeah uh yeah but um but yeah so i think weights came to a gig of, of brandis but uh then I know Waits came to a couple of gigs. Of, uh, then I was playing in the Lounge Lizards, and Waits checked out that band. And um, 
you know, he called a lot of, he called me to play on Rain Dogs based on that. He called a lot of people, you know, a lot of great guitarists played on that record. But we got along and I wound up doing a couple of the tours and and playing on some other records as well. So that's how that happened. But, you know, basically I was just hanging around trying to trying to get gigs, trying to, you know, trying to make my rent. That um, was the first time I saw you was here in Ann Arbor at the Power Center, I think like 87 or something like that. Wow. Two after Rain Dogs came out. And it's still, I mean, it's still indelib- indelibly marked on my brain. It's just one of the most powerful experiences I've ever seen. And I still, I still distinctly remember laughing and crying, not, not just in separate songs, but at times during the same song because the range of emotions and the range of, of life that, that, that Tom Waits and that group of musicians who were on stage there, which included you was, it was just, it was magic. It was one of those, you know, I can die now and I'll be happy because someone seems to, seems to get it, you know, in terms of what music can be, which is, you know, limitless if, if you really want it to be, you know, because there was just so much that, that, he incorporated, you know, with, with that band. God, that was, that was so special. Are there certain yeah. musicians who would call you up, Mark, and you would go, no, I can't, I can't play with you. I, I just, you would, in a nice way, you would, you would be saying, I think you really suck and I don't care what you're going to pay me, but I don't want to play that shit. Do you, do you ever, do you ever do that? Are you in a position to do that at this stage of your life? Well, in terms of live playing, there's a lot that I, turned down yeah, um, just because I don't want to be on the road that much. And yeah, there's some stuff I wouldn't want to do live, but I tell you something in like, in terms of studio stuff, I'm, I'm pretty much of a slut, you know, in other words, I, <laughs> just because I love, rec- just because I love recording so much. I mean, I, I got an overdub, uh, a nice overdub dubbing set up in my house you know, with and and the great thing about doing it in my house is like my my house is like crammed with weird guitars. So I get, you know, that's that makes me happy if I get to you know take them out of the case and like remember how how strange this one sounds and you know that I, I love doing that. The, so the process of recording is something that I love, and uh, you know and do whenever possible. You talk in your book about guitar playing. It's so fa- it's fascinating to read this about being, about being, well, you call it a struggle, I believe is your e- exact words. And that, that, that's an interesting term because a lot of guitar playing, you know, I mean, I've done this on the radio zillions of times. Oh, we, it makes it look so easy. It doesn't even look like he's working. It just, and, and to, to hear the word struggle, I think that, that, that's, kind of cool actually because uh that might be a word we don't often hear when it comes to guitar playing and yet yeah a lot of your playing is extremely fluid and some of it is like super angular and and everything in between talk about that that term you use though in your book about guitar playing as a struggle well i think that was um uh, I think that was part of the essay that talked about how guitars themselves are are tense, are yeah, full, yeah. are are kind of like 
guitars are springs. They're they're they have tension and they struggle with themselves. They have they're kind of like wound up clocks, like the shape. I I think in that essay I talk about um, the shape of a guitar. Um, the shape of guitar, you know, everybody knows it has this kind of hourglass shape. People compare it to women, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's perfectly nice shape. But they're, the reason it's shaped like that is because the wood is bent. And the natural state, they, they look for straight wood for the sides of the guitar. And then they bend it. And then they lock it in place with other pieces of wood. But the bent wood functions like a spring. It it tries to remember and return to its original straight state. And that's what and and the other pieces of guitar of the other pieces of uh, wood that are holding it in place, it pushes against them. And that's what gives the guitar it's this tension is what gives it its resonance. So, you know, you, when I look at a guitar, I see something that like could explode at any moment. And also the strings have a tension, huge tension. I feel bad for my guitars. I leave them in the closet and I think, oh my God, the neck, the neck is there, you know, like, you know, struggling against the huge tension of all these strings that would like pull a, pull you right over if you had to if you had to pull them pull you know if they could exert pressure on you as <laughs> I, I feel bad for them and then my own neck starts to hurt so <laughs> so you know so i think i was writing about that and and also you know there there are different kinds of people um and also there, there are different kinds of people in different ways that they approach the guitar. And some, some do play with, you know, it's create this perfect aesthetic object, but I'm always like kind of looking for the way out. I'm looking for the way out. I'm looking for, um, for me, when I play music, it's kind of like a ritual and, and I want it to, um, I want it to transform me, take me someplace else, you know, like a shamanic thing. And so that's never a calm. I mean, it can be very quiet and very peaceful, but you know, you, it it involves some kind of change, some kind of surrender to that process, and. Yeah, it's it's never something that you that I just okay. Now I'm, you know, it's it ain't like you know, cooking a cooking a hamburger or something. It's mm-hmm. it's not just like a skill that I perform. Yeah, it does. I don't perform it. It does something to me. All right, I got to ask one final question, and forgive me. I know this is like this is like a radio interview one hundred and one, but I just can't resist it. Who, who's your who's your favorite guitarist, Mark Rebo? I'm not going to be able to give one answer, okay? Oh, all right. And somebody who, I you know, who really, you know, for years I I, I, I somehow neglected her, but Sister Rosetta Tharp, I think she invented rock and roll, really. She did. She kind of did. You know, she. and and like, 
So mm. I love her stuff. I love Django. Mm. Um, you know, big Hubert Sumlin fan from Howl and Wolf. You know, I don't know. So many people are, are good. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for February 2022. Our interview was with the guitarist Mark Rebo about his book Unstrung, Rants and Stories of a Noise Guitarist. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Clap hands.